0: Australia! Wade Cooper for the win! It's on its way! It's on its way! It's gone! Quay Cooper is the man!
1: Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive. So get involved. Get involved. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch. Hi, Mitch. G'day. And if you want to find more of what we're doing, hit us up on any of our main social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The Twitter sphere has been going off for the last 24 hours. Um, we we got tagged and got involved in a few pretty controversial um or or well basically in some tweets that went viral basically in supporters for the rugby game on the weekend. I'm gonna and, shout about yeah. out.
2: Liquor box, well done yeah, liquor for box. for you starting and finding welcome. that little piece. And I think we've got to say, you have actually influenced the stand sport coverage because if yeah, you hadn't yeah. haven't seen it, uh Nick uh Nick McCardle. McAdle. Jeez, I'm having a Nick moment. Uh, Nick McCardle in the post-match <laughs> brought it up and they spoke about it on the panel. So, well done, Liquor Box. You have made that point known to the rugby world and you could very well be instrumental in getting um, Johnny, Johnny Hill, Hill cited. Yeah. cited and banned.
1: Well, mate, there is no better time to be an Australian rugby podcaster than when the Wallabies win. And not only have the Wallabies won, they've broken an eight game losing streak over the last six years the first time that eddie jones as the head coach of england has lost to australia happened last night where were you watching how rowdy did you get
2: i was watching at home getting very much into the game on twitter and on on my feet and yelling um got very very rowdy very rowdy up and down screaming and jumping when (laughs) someone
1: got that last try so it was, it was exciting. It was incredible, mate. Yeah, I was out. Um, we'd actually organised for a few mates to head to the pub on Saturday, so we got there at about two and just watched rugby for the entire afternoon and evening. So by the time the uh, was it Wallabies, all on? Uh, yeah, all but the France Japan game. Yes. Okay, but like it um, stand was on the screens and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, That's it awesome. was a it was a. Um, it's kind of one of the north shore pubs and Uh. if a north shore pub isn't going to have rugby on it'll just get disowned Uh, so (laughs) it is what it was but yeah mate it was it was awesome great crowd good to be loud and rowdy and um many abuses being hurled towards the screen and many cheers and banging of tables was uh was had so great fun good times Mitch, we have a tipping comp that's going on, mate. We do.
2: So Super Brew, same platform we were using for the Super Rugby Pacific tipping comp. We've rolled it over. So if you are interested in joining us for the July internationals, it is available there. I did um, share the link on our socials last week, but I'll do another one tomorrow. So if you are interested in getting involved, please do. Uh, You've only missed the first round. There's three to go. So good luck catching up, but everyone is welcome. Um, Shout out to Evie, who's taken out the LA cap this week, Uh, 10.5 points from the first round of the various competitions around the world, July Internationals. It includes Pacific Nations Cup. It includes just the, the three test match series against the various international teams around the world. So a little bit of everything there. So do get involved. It's a good fun.
1: Brilliant. Well, tonight, as you can obviously guess, we're going to be talking with the Wallabies or about the Wallabies versus England, Australia A versus Samoa, and then the locker room. And we have a very special guest for the Wallabies versus England. I think what we'll do is um why don't we just jump on into the segment and you can find out who we're talking to there. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just go. Let's go. All right, the part that everybody's wanting to chat about, the Wallabies versus England, Australia 30, England 28. But look, it, we we could talk about this game as much as we want, just Mitch and I, but we thought, nah, you guys have heard enough from us. Let's get a 62-cap Wallaby, a player with 117 super rugby appearances for the Queensland Reds, 70 games for the Harlequins, once described by the Queensland Rugby CEO as one of the great modern-day modern sporting treasures of Queensland. It's none other than James Horwill. How are you, James?
0: Good, guys. How are we? Thanks for, um, yeah, that, that intro. That's probably, um, I don't think I'm as good as that, but yeah, <laughs> appreciate it.
1: Hey, that's got to be nice for you being described by your CEO as a great
0: modern-day sporting treasure. How does that feel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, look, it's, um, I've been called much worse, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now look, uh, that's very kind. I mean, look, it's, uh, yeah, I guess playing for Queensland always meant a lot to me, so probably that's probably where it, uh, where it stemmed from.
1: How good mate. Well, what we might do before we actually jump into the game, we're going to ask a couple of quick fire questions because you've had a pretty incredible career and it's great to just talk a little bit about some of the opportunities you've had. So you finished up playing for Harlequins in England in a Premiership and does that make last night's win just that little bit more special?
0: Um, a little bit yeah my a lot of my UK mates uh, went pretty went pretty cold on the text uh, on the <laughs> whatsapp chats as the game went on um yeah look, oh look it was um it's funny one because there's a couple of guys in the in the england team i'm quite good mates with particularly danny yeah. care um and so look i've been texting him all week and sort of speaking to him a little bit and look it's uh it's you know i'm just thrilled that he's back in the england team because yeah. he should have been there for about three years where yeah. he wasn't so uh there was a little bit i sort of said to him before the game i said look i hope i hope you you play you and smithy um, Marcus yeah. at number ten play really well, but in the end you lose. And I mean, it's. So, <laughs> I think he, he understands that. But yeah, look, it was. Um, it's always nice. It's probably nicer when you're living over there. Uh, I'm just annoyed that we've. My pretty much my whole time I was living in the UK for six years. We never we we lost all our games, so it made it. Um, a little bit tough at times, <laughs> when yeah. particularly when, you're watching it with a full team of Brits. So it's um, yeah, it was good.
1: Mate, that's great. And uh, where did you actually watch the game last night? And were there any special celebrations, considering it was the breaking of a six-year drought?
0: No, no mate. I'm, I'm very boring. I watched it at home on the couch with my wife. Um, we've got two young kids, and wife's pregnant, so it's um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of fun having for us last night. So it was just at home on the couch watched it, and there was no celebration. <coughs> <laughs> I think I got yeah. up and went, got up and went to bed. <laughs> Mate, uh, sleep well
1: earned So one of the questions we wanted to ask About kind of your domestic and international career You've had some pretty um, incredible opportunities To play in many different countries um, In many different teams Well, I guess the the two main teams Being the Reds and the Harlequins What was your favourite match that you were involved in? Is there anyone that stands out in in your memory?
0: Um, I mean, there's obviously the obvious ones That you know winning the super rugby title that's out and out, that's that's like the boring answer mm-hmm. that everyone probably expects. And look, that's I mean, nothing comes close to that at the moment, you know. That's um, I mean, that was a that was a huge occasion for us. Um, you know, outside of that, look, I, I mean, there was one for the Reds that we played in that same year in um, Cape Town. I mean, Newlands is a great place to play um you know great venue and then i remember you know they had they sold out new Orleans, you know pretty much for stormers games and that was that was quite an unbelievable experience beating them there um when probably that was sort of the start of everyone actually taking us a little bit more seriously than they thought we were um so that game from a reds point of view i think i um i'm trying to think harlequin's first time we played saracens at the stu Yep. Um, I mean it just was a different level. Um, you know, the Queens fans had usually been quite reserved and then they just turned completely feral. Uh, <laughs> when we play Saracens and it was I mean, it was a, not a great game. I got yellow carded to begin with like within three minutes and probably could have been a red card. I got sighted. Um yep. <laughs> but I but ended up, you know, it was pissing with rain. It was like early January, you know two, three degrees, full house. And uh I ended up scoring the match winning try. Oh, um, <laughs> how good. So um, you know, there was a real hatred for for um for Saracens, And I guess from a Wallaby's point of view, I think obviously any time we played at Suncorp was special. First test as captain at Suncorp winning the Tri Nations. And then probably outside of that winning in south africa was fun we, we won in durban one year i'm trying to remember the year, i think it was 2008 maybe in durban um and also in 2011 was um they were they were just good games to be a part of because it's a, you know the crowd it's a it's a great place to travel i used to love traveling to south africa and and touring over there and um yeah i think it's a they're probably some of the highlights you know just quick fire <laughs> Fantastic. And I
1: think it, it, it's one of
0: the challenges
1: that the change of the Super Rugby format has brought is that the, our players don't get that experience of travelling particularly to South Africa and mm. getting that level of um, fan kind of, not patriotism, but fan engagement that the South African fans are known for. Um, but also just a challenge of playing South African teams in South Africa. So, mm. yeah, there's, what do you think about the changes that have happened with Super Rugby in a broad oh. sense? Oh,
0: look, I think they were probably needed. Look, I, I, in saying that, I, I love travelling to South Africa and I, I, you know, from a personal selfish point of view, it was amazing and you used to go away, you know, two, three weeks at a time to, uh, you know, see what is an amazing country full of fantastic people and got a lot of good friends in South African. But I think from a broadcast and a, and a and a product point of view, I think it was getting diluted and we weren't, we weren't super rugby wasn't sure what it was. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense for South Africa to go up to Europe just from the time zone point of view. I think the improvement here around the time zone and you know bringing in the Pacifica teams, I think is a is a really nice addition. Um, you know, I think you saw some of the performances on the weekend from the particularly from the Fiji and the Samoan side, which have predominantly been the, you know, the Drua and the Moana Pacifica team. I mean, not not fully, but you know, yep. a lot of the Samoan boys are playing in the Moana team and obviously the Fiji and Drua So they looked a much more polished outfit than the other Pacifica nations, um, you know, on the weekend who have only just come together. So I think that that from a world rugby point of view is exciting. Um, Look, I think there's still some things that can be done to the super rugby comp. I I think it's, you know, New Zealand need us as much as we need New Zealand. And I think they're kidding themselves if they think otherwise. Um, But I think there's some tweaks and I think we could... We need to get a bit more creative with the super rugby tournament in my opinion um but it takes some you know to get it done it would take a little bit of um flexibility from some of the home unions yep. to to get it done so that that's but i think it's from where it was it, it's a, it's an improvement but it's still got a ways to go
1: okay cool well why don't we jump into the game so straight off mitch we win 30-28. to 28. We've broken a six-year losing streak, eight games to nil under Eddie Jones. How did you How did you feel once that final whistle blew?
2: Oh, there's a bit of mixed emotions, if I'm completely honest. It was great that we did get that victory and we scored 30 points against the old enemy, but at the same time, they scored two tries in the last minute and a half, which really made the game seem a lot closer than it really was. I think I would have liked to have taken it at 30-14, it, which it had been when Samu scored that try, but... Overall, you've got to be happy that we did beat England and we did it quite convincingly with 14 men.
1: Yep, 100%. And, I mean, the game itself had so many points of drama within it, but it just started off and up there is the worst possible way, having um, Quade Cooper pulled out, what, five minutes before kickoff with a calf injury. Um, James, how did you rate Noah's performance as he replaced Quade? He had a perfect game for the kicking tee.
0: Yeah, look, I think he was, he was quite... Um, you know, calm and reserved, I think, uh, you know, I think from a, from a point of view of coming in there, you can get sort of be a bit like a deer of the headlights and try and overplay sand. I don't think he, def- he definitely didn't try and do that. Um, I thought he was quite calm and just didn't seem too overawed by the occasion. Obviously, that showed with his um, accuracy from the tee, which is always helpful. Um, you know, it was always a rarity sometimes for an Australian to outkick an, an English side, yeah. you know, in terms of accuracy. Um, over the last few years, Owen Farrell... <laughs> Had a bit of an off night with the boot. Traditionally, that doesn't happen, but yep. um, yeah, look, I think he seemed very calm. It didn't phase him. Um, obviously, very relaxed, and I think to, you know, I think it shows in the preparation that the the team had put in that that he was able to seamlessly step in and and not be um, not be overawed by the occasion and just seamlessly, you know, go on with what's going on.
1: I think a key point that we need to remember is how many Brumbies were actually in the starting 15 and on the bench as well. So he had, if you just look at the starting side, he had Alan Alatoa, Darcy Swain, Caden Neville, Rob Valentini, Nick White, and Len Ikatau and Tom Banks, all from the Brumbies. He's playing with week in, week out, training with mm. the entire season. So that's nearly just roughly two-thirds of the team, which are people that he's playing alongside. So I think that obviously is an element that helps his transition. But, Mitch, the game got off, like I said, to a horrible start. You got the injury to Quaid Cooper. You then have um, Alan Alatoa, Tom Banks, Darcy Swain, all within the first, what, 25 or so minutes, first half hour, we can say, um, going off the field. Huge changes that were happening. Um, How, in your mind, do you think the Australians were able to come back and actually, at points within the second half, take control of the encounter being a man down?
2: I think it's one thing that we're starting to see as a trademark of Dave Rennie's coaching emphasis um, in his last sort of few tests, particularly, is that he just has such a calm in, calm presence on the team, and they didn't they never panicked. And it would be very easy for a lot of teams, first of all, with the with Quade getting injured right before kickoff, uh, Noel SEO coming in, disruption changed, all that sort of thing. They didn't look panicked. He slotted in perfectly. They they did what they needed to do. All of those players going off injured. At no point did anyone really look like they were sort of. Uh, caught unaware or knew what not what they were doing, they all just kept going about their their jobs and kept doing the things that they had spoken about. Um, six all at half time. Not a great first half, but you could really see that they were talking about things in the change room. There's a great piece of vision of Darcy Swain, who did get that red card and was a big impact in that uh, in this the line out for the Wallabies was just calmly talking to the other forwards and sort of addressing how they're going to address the line-out in the second half. And when they came back out there, there was a marked improvement. Um, and the, they, I think, don't think they lost the line-out against the throw in the second half. And their set-piece really did start to, to show up against England, even with that man down. So uh, it was really impressive to see that they were able to do that. And they just kept their heads. They didn't get overawed and they started to go into... Um, using some of the players' freak abilities that we know they have. So Samu Krevi was trucking the ball up a bit more. Jordan Pataya mm-hmm. sort of wiggling his way through to score tries and, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, the involvement that um, Marika Korembete had in a lot of the kind of pick and goes from the back of the ruck, um, him trying to get that... Just that speed of ruck increase to try and negate the one-man advantage that England had by just speeding up the pace of the ruck was really, really important. Um, we might jump back to the Darcy Swain card. And, um, James, I'm looking at a picture right here of a certain event that you were involved with in 2008. Uh, not sure if you remember being on the receiving end of the French number eight's, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> this, uh, imanol Harinordikai. I don't know how yeah. to say that. Paranautically, yeah. Oh, close. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So being a player who's had that experience, um, <laughs> what was your kind of reaction or immediate response when you saw the red card come out for Darcy Swain's? It it was a headbutt without a shadow of a doubt. The force was pretty minimal and didn't really have any impact. How did you respond in that moment?
0: Oh, look, you get a little bit frustrated with that it got to that point. I think it's... I think there's an element of the game that probably needs to, you know, nowadays, you know, and I'm um, even before my time, you've got the sort of the back of my day that there was the sort of the um the justice hand the you know, the the justice handed out by the, the guys there. There weren't as many cameras. So if you did something like what Johnny Hill did to someone, you know that the next time you're in a breakdown, something bad is gonna to happen to you <laughs> and right and you know which will probably stop you from doing it again. Now, um in this day and age, rightly so, you, you're protected. You know, there, there's a lot of cameras, and they want to stuff out all you know that sort of thuggery and all that and that stuff. But I think the referees need to be tighter on protecting, you know, just clamping down on that sort of you know, there's word, there's words for it, but the, yeah. the that I won't use on this podcast. But you know, just <laughs> just the annoying pest stuff is just that just needs to go away because it's not. Because you can't do anything. Like rightly so, as they someone would, you know back in the nineties, someone would have just turned around and absolutely clobbered Johnny Hill and be knocked out on the ground unconscious, and they'd yeah. just run away. And everyone would go, "Yeah, you probably deserve that, mate, for pulling that guy's hair." But yeah, you yeah. can't do that now. And yep. he was just getting—you can see the big reaction he got when he got headbutted to hammer it up. So look, mm-hmm. a bit of frustration. I can understand why Darcy bit out, but. I think there's a little slight failure of you know we saw the push in the face earlier from. Yeah, yeah. I think there's this you know the referees seem to pull up literally anything that goes on and how they miss some guy getting smacked in the face and then hair pulling before it is beyond me. So I'm I think there's a little bit of a failure from the referee T there. That's that's the the TMO as well. If they had to pull that up earlier, would have snapped in. You know I, I you know I quite enjoyed how. Um, the referee pulled up Maroata, just screaming at the top of his lung when you're yeah. trying to make a line out call, and just said, "Mate, you do that again, I'm going to penalise you." And it just stops. Yep. You just Amazing. see, like it just, it's just it's real, yep. it's real simple. So they just, I just think you just need to be on to that sort of stuff and and not and have a zero tolerance for all that sort of just, just annoying stuff that just is unnecessary.
2: As a former Wallabies captain, does it become the responsibility of say Michael Hooper that to then have that discussion with the referee and say, look. Yeah. our players getting hit off the ball that sort of thing just so he's aware of it so when something like that happens does it potentially change the way that he adjudicates that that situation do you think
0: yeah look i think you can i mean we always used to sort of mention go look these guys are doing that if you don't do something well i there's not much i can tell my guys are going to have to take it into their own hands because you're not you're not protecting them you're not looking and like you can frame it in different ways and yeah. then say look you know Use the head, you know. Protecting, you know, we need to protect the head, to protect the player, the vision, and like stuff that you know that from a referee's point of view is a trigger for them because they're being they're being adjudicated on that game. You know, it's a test match for them and. Got, you know they'll be sitting here today or on Monday and going getting a report card of what they did right, what they did wrong. There'll be someone like ticking the box and going, "You did this, this, this good. You got to do better here. You missed on this. You yeah. missed out on that." Now, if you go to him and go, "Hey mate, you this guy's going to you know someone's getting hit in the head here and you're not you're not picking it up," you know that that's a big red flag for referees at the moment. Mm. So you can just just slightly go, "Hey, look, you know you're you're missing something here," and that will sort of hone him into it. But I think. um yeah, look, there's a lot of things you can do, but I just think it's, we, across the game, we need to be stronger on that sort of stuff. You know, it's almost like a unsportsmanlike, you know, in the NFL, they have the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. You almost need something like that. It's just like, mate, that's just a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct. It's Yep, you know, and you're just going to keep and almost a card or something if it continues on. So,
2: and I guess what's yeah. frustrating for Wallabies fans too is that when we look at that incident, it there was three minutes of play, thirteen phases that the Wallabies had the ball from that line out, uh, from that mall, went through. They won a penalty in their own right, and are looking at the options when the TMO then interjects and say we need to look at this piece of foul play and goes back. The referee didn't didn't um, control that process. It was a TMO jumping in. Why is it team then not jumping in when we get that earlier um, contact? And we've, there's a lot of comment online how that got missed by the yeah, official yeah, team. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And look, so- I think that's the frustration part of it is that you know people watching the game from a fan point of view are going, "Hey, you're picking up all these minor like little head contacts." For example, like Billy Van yeah. you know, yellow card like that. There was no intent for him to hit anyone in the head. He did hit him in the head. There's no doubt about it. But you know, I think if it's we just go. We keep coming back to these tiny little things, and then when you miss something big, you know this is where, as you say, probably probably people online get really frustrated. So that's where, you either don't and just deal with it afterwards, or we we got to deal with it in 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 the game and on the run
1: yeah i wonder how much um i wonder if there'll be a citation coming for johnny hill in the aftermath for that 23rd minute incident i mean it it's one of those incidents where at the time he probably would have received a yellow card if it had been picked up yeah. although it was direct contact to the head but it was it was almost like an open hand push to yeah. the face of darcy swain so i'm not sure if it would have met the red card of the threshold
0: yeah, I agree. I don't think it would have been a yellow. I don't think it would have. Been. I would have been very surprised if, although you get surprised about a few things now, but yeah, I would have been very surprised that that was a red card. Um, yeah. So i definitely, yeah, I think they would have just said, "Mate, that's a yellow. That's stupid. Don't do it again." So,
1: well, um look, considering that, we, you have to. We all have to acknowledge that Darcy Swain his red card was, he, he left the referee with no other option. Yep. Um, so the red card was uh, coming his way for his actions, even though he was definitely provoked by Johnny Hill. Um, but interestingly, the line-out for the Australians did not crumble at all within with the absence of Darcy Swain and in many ways our forward pack stepped up with their intensity their physicality their ability to um stop the English runners within their tracks more effectively there was just a really impressive lift but focusing on the line out James was there anything that you noticed about what the Aussies were trying to do to begin with within the line out and then how they responded to Darcy's uh, absence oh
0: look I think to begin with it seemed that, you know, from a defensive point of view, the the Aussies were obviously trying to shift and move late and trying to disrupt um, the rhythm of the, the English. You know, they sort of call the line out, out out of the line and come in and then give you a couple of options as they're walking in. Um, you know, you saw that the English took a lot at the front of the line out because, you know, I think there was obviously parts of the field where the Aussies were, were trying to sit back and, and just go. Well, look, we just want to fly off the line and get a bit more line speed off us. So we, you know, we're happy for you to take the front, but shift late. And then Darcy picked off one, I think, early, early, early days. But other than that, there was sort of a bit of parity there. And I think from an attacking point of view, there was seemed like an element to try and mix up around the the line out a little bit in terms of the length. You know, they went the over, they went, they yeah. went the overthrow, just trying to keep. Um, not allowing them to get into a rhythm. It seems so. You know, you, you saw even when um, on for our uh, fingers try, there was like a Samu was wrapping around the mm. around the front. So they were just yep. trying to yep. do a little things to hold off and not and just get them thinking. And it seemed like it was trying to make the English think a little bit um, more than they might traditionally playing in the Premiership week in week out when there's a lot of um, it's fairly attritional and you you sort of know what's coming most against most teams, uh, we can, you know, particularly under fatigue. Mitch, which
1: players stood out for you? Who did you, at the end of this match, think they had a cracker of a game?
2: Well, we're, we're talking about the line-out, so we can't go past uh, Dave Parecki. I think for a debut, uh, particularly in the hooking stocks, it's something we've been talking about for the last few years, that the Wallabies, we just haven't found that consistency in in set-piece, in throwing the line-out. Um, and Dave Parecki had, I think, one... Um, one steal against him. and But apart from that, he was near, near perfect in his uh, line-out throwing. So I was really impressed with the way that he came on and by all rights, going to get a Wallabies cap last year and, and through injury missed out. So it was great to actually see him be rewarded with that this year. Uh, and for a Wallabies debut, I can't, th- another one can't spring to mind how well he did um, for his first cap for Australia.
1: Yep. And I think we we'll- Uh, Caden Neville also needs to be brought into the discussion as well When you're looking at debutants Who just had absolute crackers He was impressive Uh, I think the first penalty that we received in the game Was Caden Neville holding the player up Um, So holding the player up in tackle Swarming around, more gets called But turnover And it's just stock and standard What he's been doing with the Brumbies all year And it was brilliant to see him Just replicate that form for the Wallabies too Uh, Defensively, both of those players were immense Parekh had 16 tackles Neville topping the charts at 17 no misses as well so it was just in many ways for caden just a perfect debut for him he must have been stoked i'm sure he'll always oh there's definitely work on always work on <laughs> but he would have been very happy uh james who stood out for you mate
0: oh look i think uh, you know a couple of trying i i think you know i think the bench was it was a real impact as i think you mentioned before Mitch, the, um, the first half was a bit dour. Mm. You know, it's, it wasn't going to set any records for for a cracking game of rugby in that first 40 <laughs> minutes. But, um, look, I thought the bench for, for the Wallabies did a great job. You know, I'm, I'll probably single out a guy like James Slipper. I mean, I think he is... Um, I mean, I think people don't probably appreciate how hard it is to switch sides of the scrum mm. when you play loose head all year and then come on and play 50 five minutes of tight head against the English, um, you know, against, you know, Ellis Gens, who, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere is considered probably one of the best loose heads in the game, up, up that, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly in the UK um, and Jamie George is, as well as a, is a fantastic scrummager um, for, for at Hooker there. So I think there's a, a lot gets missed of how hard and how 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 well he's done to do that. Um, you know, I know he would have trained all week and he probably would have prepped for it, but uh, knowing slips he's not that's you know, he has played a little bit there before, but he's a loose head. Yeah. Um and yeah, I so I, I think for someone like that, you know, I think he doesn't uh, doesn't get the, the kudos he deserves because he's um yeah, that that was a hell of an effort.
1: So, James, where did the English go wrong? We've spoken about some of the areas that we think the Wallabies were strong in and some of the players who really stood out. Looking at this team beforehand, the English team beforehand, they had an impressive forward pack and they had some real quality throughout the back line as well. I thought their bench was a little bit weak. Um, But in terms of where do you think they lost this game, what what were your thoughts after the match?
0: Um, Look, I think... for me, they've been sucked into a little bit of you know, they, they've got a lot of criticism in the UK about not being expansive enough. We've got all these great players, we don't use them. They've been picking boring, playing boring rugby, and not sort of and and they're not winning. Um, so I think they've got they got sucked into a bit, but there was a lot of excitement in the British press and you know in the UK about the team they picked, particularly the back line with Care yeah. Smith, um, you know, moving Farrell to 12. Then you've got Marchant, you've got um you know, cocking a, cock a singer on the wings. These guys, there's a lot of excitement about that. They're like, hey, we're going to run this. This is going to be great. We're just going to play running rugby because there are – these guys have been playing like that in the premiership. Um, and I think they just played too lateral and too deep to begin yeah. with. I think, yeah. Mark, there was too many out-the-back plays. They just – they seemed to have this fantasy of just going out-the-back, out-the-back, you know, hitting the forward run out-the-back. when they, they, They did make some good grounds when they went – you know back to a bit more bully boy England playing on top of teams, flat line, flat line, punch, 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 and then playing out in the pack. They just it was almost like, Hey, we this is what we, we've been told we have to do. This we're going to go out there and do it. And yeah. and just with you know, without any opportunity or any thought, it's like we've got to go play out the back, got to play at the back, and even like shifting it on in, in, um, with, in their forward runners just because they need to pass the ball more. It just seemed that they were. A little bit lost, and you know, trying to force that a bit too much and overplaying it. That's the way it it looked for me. I think they tactically weren't that strong kicking as they traditionally are now. Whether that again played a lot more in that middle middle section of the field, sort of between the 40s, than you traditionally see England play. So, I think that's where they got lost a bit. And you know, realistically, I think they they should be very disappointed that this is a big opportunity for them, particularly after the first half, which wasn't great from either side, but. Um, I think there was, you know, Aussies found a way to grid it out, but England weren't weren't great. And this is after losing to the Barbarians the week before to a fourteen man Barbarians team. Yeah. The week before. So, <laughs> yep. so yep. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's where I think they were looking. So I think there'll be some changes this week.
2: And I think it's yeah. it's interesting you mention how they seem to be sort of stuck under their set piece or under the the game plan that they're playing and not really playing with freedom. And we saw that in the last sort of two minutes of the game when the the game was won. The Wallabies couldn't lose it from that point and they scored two quick tries just by playing flair, quick up-paced rugby, throwing it out to the wings, um, catching the Wallabies unawares at some points with a 13-man um, or two-man advantage to England. But um, I wonder if there'll be some approach there from Eddie to sort of just say, let's play what's in front of us in game two and see what we can do because well... we saw those guys just run it.
1: Yeah, when when you look at those two tries, I went back and had another look at them today, and the the first of those two late tries was just really unlucky, and Andrew Colaway had. Yeah. Um, Noah. whoever it was, Arendelle, Arundel, totally yeah. um, marked. And then Noah comes across and tries to support make the tackle and they kind of wrap around, clash off each other and fall off the tackle and then he's able to get through. Yeah. Um, and that's just one of those rugby incidents that happens now and then. But you would expect Kellaway to make that tackle kind of nine times out of ten. And then um, the the second try was where Noah Lsu had been – uh, sent off for his failed intercept um and so he would normally be defending in that channel um off the line out but then the line out got super messy and about three of the forwards fell over in the line out and so you can see flower our was trying to track across and fill that hole between the line out and the back on, backs defensive line and then um i think it was arundel again cut off his right foot into the hole where the Covering forwards would have been Except they were all on the ground Because the line out was a mess So I'm not sure how much it was um, Kind of Expansive backline play. I think it was good, good exploitation of a couple of errors within the Australian defensive line, but more opportunistic and lucky rather than actually unlocking the Australian defence. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, when James, when you were talking before about the kind of at the back plays, it, in my mind, it just fed into Lenny Ikitao's kind of umbrella style defence of just pushing up on the outside and making Marcus Smith turn back in towards the Australian defence.
0: Yeah look I think that that sort of comes in with that sort of rugby league style you know is always that spot tackler from the outside in and I think yeah look it looks like they were just trying to get a bit more width on their game um and they were just doing it regardless you know um you know regardless of what was in front of them you know they remember the, seeing on the coverage there were some you know some big holes in the wallabies sort of midfield defense at times and they just didn't seem to want to get it there and all they just pushed the pass. It was in mean, the first half again was very scrappy. So I think they were just they looked a little less cohesive than they what had in the mm. past. So it'll be interesting to see what they do selection wise coming this week. I think um I think they'll look at either playing Farrell or Smith. I don't think they'll play both. I think they'll um yeah. So I, I'm interested to see where they go with that. Why don't we look forward then to the next game?
1: I think it's going to be a really, really challenging one, and I'm really happy it's being played up
0: at Suncorp because that has
1: just been a great hunting ground for the Wallabies over the last few years. So it may well be, with a bit of luck, hopefully, and some great execution from the players, but might well be able to clinch the series this coming weekend. But we have some pretty big – when I say we, obviously we're a part of the Wallabies, and we've got some big conversations and discussions that need to happen about the replacements for uh, Allen, for Banks, for Cooper, um, maybe – Quay Cooper, maybe depending on how severe that um, lower calf injury was, as well as Darcy. So yeah. Allen will be out because of the return to play protocols. He'll be out for 12 days, so we might see him for game three. Um, Banks has obviously broken his arm, and um, hope that that's not as bad as it looked. Um, I mean, it's obviously broken, but I hope
0: it's, it's being reported today. Four months. Okay. I mean, he's he had three bends in his arm, so yeah. that's not a good thing. He had his elbow. Oh, wow. he, he, he had his yeah. elbow. His elbow was bending. His wrist was bending, and there was another bend in the middle.
1: It was <laughs> just messy to watch. Um, yeah, we did see that, that
0: third replay
2: of that. No,
0: I <laughs> I yeah, I don't think we'll see him again this this calendar season for the Wallabies.
1: No, no. Um, maybe
0: maybe the spring the spring tour, but I don't think you'll see him before then.
1: Yeah, probably not. Because then the question is, is he he going to be one of the overseas players that you call in under the Mm. current kind of guidelines for the World Cup? Probably, probably not. Um, So they'd be looking to develop someone like Kellaway or Jordi Pettire. But anyway, um, so why don't we have a quick discussion? Um, Who are we going to be replacing for Alan Alatoa? Mitch, who do you think that they'll bring in on that side of the scrum? Uh,
2: Tani Alatupo. From what's been reported today, he should be able to play because he's, there was talks that his partner was giving birth and it might be clashing with that second test, but the baby was delivered last or Friday. So oh, he should be able to play. And from reports, that it fantastic. looks like he should be fit as well. So I'm I'm hoping it's Tupo. He
1: might not have had much sleep in the last week, but um, <laughs> hopefully he can get out there. Okay, James, who are you putting in at 15 for Tom Banks?
0: Uh, look, I think you'd probably go with... With Callaway, I think he did a good job there, and I, I think they'll keep that momentum. So they'll probably go with him and and put Geordie on on one of the wings. Yep. Um it's probably where I'd see that
1: happen. And who do you then bring onto the bench as that kind of back three cover?
0: Probably. I mean, you could you could understand. You could put James as Connor as your back three cover. Play, you know, another. Um, I'm just trying to think who else you would put in there. Another centre, but look, I I'm not sure. Who you'd put onto the bench, but I think, yeah, I'm not sure who you'd start then if you didn't. If you put, I think Kellaway will go to full back. It's either yeah, Kellaway or so. Geordie. So yep. I think they'll keep Kellaway there. And it's, as you said, whether they keep Geordie on the bench just because he can cover three positions. But mm-hmm. and uh, you bring guess, someone like
1: Tom Wright or Parisi or something like that onto the wing. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the other one. Put Parisi on the bench. James covers fullback, and um, I guess Parisi can play wing as well and yep, covers 10, true. and also that covers your, your centre combination as well. Mitch, what were you going to say? I was going to say, just, I guess it
2: depends with how, if Quade Cooper's fit, so if he can start, or if he can play and he's fit, then they probably start Cooper, put Noah on the bench, and then um, probably bring on Jock as that, yeah. um back three option. Shift Batai to the wing.
0: I'd um, I'd be surprised if Quade's fit. I just think Calf injury. If he's getting scans, seems he's just yep. flown back from Perth. Yeah, I yeah. mean, um, I, I mean, uh, not that Quaid's old, but you know, thirty plus, just don't recover be, that as quickly. Yep. Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, I don't know how bad it is, but I'd be, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he play if he plays this test. I think he 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 might be a chance for the second, the third.
1: So importantly then, Darcy won't be available uh, in the locking stocks. We've already had Rodder um, pulled out with injury and won't be available until the Rugby Championship later in the year. Haven't had anybody such as Skelton, Coleman, Rodder brought back in into the overseas players. So who is starting alongside, we would assume, Cade Neville? What do you reckon, James?
0: I think you'd just go Matt Phillip. I think that's a, that's an easy one. I think he was good when he came on. He probably felt a bit aggrieved that he wasn't. In the starting locks to begin with, so I think they'll start with him. Um, probably, I don't know because Jet. Mind I saying Jet Holiday Hol- Holloway was injured, and yeah. that's why he didn't. Yeah, Because I, I, I had a feeling he was going to start at six, um, if he was fit to yep. go big. But I think they'll probably he'll come onto the bench if he is fit, um, and give you sort of the back row cover with Pinsamu I think that's probably the way it'll go I think
1: because both um, Caden and Matt Phillip can play the full game full 80 and still be effective they showed it um, they've shown it all throughout the Super Rugby season Um, and Caden was fantastic for the full match last night Um, so just having a quick look at that because we've had a couple of questions that came in from fans wanting to just get your opinions and insight about If we look particularly at, say, uh, Caden Neville, Matt Phillip, um, Darcy Swain, and Nick Frost as the kind of the four main locking options within the squad. Um, You've got a few other kind of six, five combos. But looking at those four players, what do you see are the kind of different strengths that each of them bring to the lock position? And do you think there are any that would work better in combination together?
0: Yeah, well, look, I think... I think the problem, what they've probably looked at is gone with Darcy sort of your caller and, and running the line out with Caden being the, the, the wor- in, in brackets, working style lock. Um, and they probably see, uh, I don't know this for a fact, but they probably saw Matt Phillip and, and Caden being quite similar. So that that's probably why they didn't, you know, they they, they probably wouldn't have started the two of them. But I think after the weekend, they're, they're your two best options. So you might lose a bit of balance in that sense. Um, but look, I think they're, you know, they're, they're quite similar. I think, you know, is a back row, second row, I think he's sort of made himself a bit more of a second row and it's worked out well. So he's not going to give you that sort of grunt, um, break you know, breakdown coverage, but he's going to give you a bit more of a ball carrying option. That's why I think I don't think he's a bad bench option because he can cover six, four, and five. So therefore, you're covering a bit more length. You know, something that England used to, you know, do with Courtney Laws or yep. Marrow. Um, you know, run with a run with those three, and then Frost I think is probably more in the Swain mold. You know, tall, athletic. Um, he's got a, you know, so uh, I mean. If you're wanting to balance it out, there's a, there, there, there could be an argument for starting Nick just as a straight replacement for Darcy and leaving it as it was. But I, I think they'll bring for a bit more flexibility, Jed onto the bench. So I think Matt will go into to start the way for, for that for yeah for for this test. But you know, there's obviously a lot of guys overseas that could come in as well. Um, you know, there's three or four locks over playing in France and the UK that uh, is someone that could possibly be brought in.
1: Yeah. I I was thinking that before. I just wonder how much, um, the challenge of time would place. Cause I mean, even if they got the call out yesterday, still take a couple of days to get them back yeah. into the country. And I don't think the they'll
0: do it for, I don't think they'll do it for this. Cause I don't think Darcy will be out for too long. I mean, I think you'll they'll give him like six weeks downgraded to three or something. So I think we'll the, usual, the, the usual series,
1: yeah,
0: I think he will miss the series, but um, they might argue it. They might argue the fact that and provocation might be brought in anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to predict the um, judicial system. <laughs> I've, been on, I've been on that merry-go-round too many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Mitch,
1: what do you think we are going to see from England moving forward? James has mentioned a couple of things already. What do you think we're going to see in Brisbane this coming weekend?
2: Um, I think they're going to be more aware of taking the opportunities when they're presented to them. Um, One of the instances this week, we saw that um, they left a few penalties out there on the field that were potentially kickable. And um, if he knocked a few more over at the end there, they're they're looking at winning the game. So they'll, I think they'll approach this second test as sort of do or die and, and try and take everything they can. Um, And I think they will put more of an emphasis on their set piece and, they will not be happy with the fact that they got pushed off their own ball by seven men um, and absolutely monster in that penalty in the 73rd minute, I think it was. So I think Eddie Jones will be riding that forward pack this week and we can expect there there to be a, a marked improvement in a step up in physicality in that area.
1: Yeah, uh, England only won two of their five scrums for 40% um rating which is just almost unheard of against australia particularly i think back to a few years ago um and we were what was it 2013 or so we were getting monstered off our own scrum by the massive english forwards that was a challenge um but look i'm personally thinking that one of the challenges that England had is the passes, particularly when the back line were just a little bit behind the players. There wasn't that regular level of accuracy. And as we mentioned before, the depth, which the English backs were playing at basically just kept conceding ground again and again to the Wallabies' defense without much gain. Um, I think the kicks that they put up um, were a little bit too deep the vast majority of the time. So it gave Kelleway, Pattaya, um, Banks within the first 20, more time to be getting under the ball and for that kind of screening defense to be set up effectively. Freddie Stewart's a freaking monster under the high ball. So I think that they're going to, part of me reckons they're going to double down on the kicking game, make it a lot more contestable and just grind this Australian team down as much as they possibly can. And really prevent it from being at all open um, and letting the Australian backs kind of dictate much of the play. That's my kind of general thoughts.
0: James, any last comments on that before we move on? Oh, look, I think you're going to see it's going to be one or two. They're either going to go back to old school England and, you know, I think they'll push Farrell to 10, put Smith to the bench and just have a kick and just go a bit more route one. Um, Or as I said, I think they might, they could double down. I think you might see maybe one of the youngsters come come in that Arendelle, there's a lot of mm. hype around him, um, you know, in the premiership. And, you know, I mean, it, I know, I know it was there was a bit of, you know, um, one of the Aussie players sort of knocked each other out there, but still the, the feet and the leg drive and the power yeah. through the legs to, to get that try. I mean, he's he's got some, there's something about him. So there's, um, yeah, and I, I'd probably like to see them, you know, them moving a bit more from the base. I think Danny, you know, using him as just a stand delivery deliver a halfback is not not what he's designed to do. So him scooting and getting a few more runners off him, I think that's where he's he's dangerous. Yeah, yep, all good calls.
1: Well, um, mate, watching this game, how much do you want to tie up the laces and get back out there, or you, your body has <laughs> sent you many messages saying, "Nah." Yeah, totally
0: done. no, I mean, look, it's great. I mean, uh, you know, those sort of occasions in the change room, I think it would have been would have been fantastic. And look, you know, that's what you. are Love to play for you know. Stadium looks fantastic in Perth. I've never been to that Optus Stadium, but it looks amazing. So um, would have been a treat there. But yeah, certainly very happily retired at the moment. Um, <laughs> body's telling me that for sure. And <laughs> there, were no, what um, is...
2: there was going to say? There's no calls from Brad Thorne this year to help out, <laughs> like uh, like Squeak
0: did earlier in the year. Yeah, mate. There's no chance of that happening. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm much lighter than I used to play anyway. So <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> Mate, what what a what's
1: life looking like for you at the moment? Any kind of coaching aspirations or involvement still within rugby, or um, yeah, what what direction are you taking post uh, um,
0: no, post rugby? Camp? No coaching, no no coaching not for me. Um, look, I, uh, I I'm I'm not sort of actively involved in in rugby. I, I sort of help out a little bit um, with some of the Reds leaders and just chat to them in a in an informal basis. Not was a formal thing and. Uh, do a little bit helping out with the the Reds a little bit, but nothing, not in a not in a coaching role, just more sort of yep. from an administrating. But yeah, that's not um, that's not what my uh, my future looks. No, I'm, uh, so I work for my we've got a family business, so we're automotive accessories manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we make plastic and aluminium products for for cars mainly Utes. So that's what um I'm spending. I'm very busy spending my days doing, and yeah, it's been uh, been interesting. Has its challenges, but it's been good so far.
2: And you'll be there, I'm sure, on Saturday. Hook up with all the um, West Point. Sorry, you go, Mitch. You go, Mitch. I was just gonna say, we'll see you at SunCorp on Saturday. No <laughs> I um,
0: I won't actually. I'm actually heading back to the UK on Tuesday. Really? Um, for 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 a number of things for work. I'm um, I'm graduating from my MBA, so I never graduated uh so i'm doing that and um getting to see some old old friends that i hadn't seen um when we left a year about 12 months ago it was still middle of COVID, so there was a lot of people we didn't actually get to say goodbye to sure. from their six years so we're catching up with a few people so yeah um just the timing just didn't work it was a bit weird so i'm uh, i'm actually heading back to the uk so i'll i'll watch it from uh from london even um,
2: better, savor the victory from England.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That'll be even better going if, back, or if we lose, then it's uh, not going to be ideal.
1: Well, hopefully, fact, mate, you can change that record because you were saying exactly. before of how it's been really hard watching all the games living over there. Well, mate, hopefully, hopefully, this can be the righting of those wrongs. Hey?
0: exactly, exactly. No, look, it should be a good event. I was, um, yeah, it would have been nice to go to the game. I think hopefully, we get a good crowd. I'm not sure what ticket sales are looking like, but um, yeah, hopefully. The, the win on the weekend has sort of spurred a few of our more fickle uh yeah. Brisbane followers to, <laughs> to to get behind and um yeah yeah I'm hoping it's a full full house or it should be at least close to. Yeah. How brilliant. Well
1: mate, let's finish on that positive point. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and all the best
0: with the trip back to the UK. No worries guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, mate. Recording stop. Awesome. Thanks man. No worries guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks James. for having me absolute no pleasure um
1: like i said we'll quickly send you a link um maybe later tonight or early tomorrow morning once it's out just so you know
0: sweet no worries guys thanks very much all the out. best
1: mate have a good night talk soon youtube
0: bye bye
2: Thank you, James Howell, for your time tonight. That was so great to be able to have him on and chat through. Such a legend. Chat through the success that was the Wallabies versus England uh, this weekend. And reminder to everyone out there that the second test is being played this coming Saturday night, 8 p.m. kickoff at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Get down there if you're a Queensland local. If not, tune in on Stan But Mate, you're going to be there. I be there will well. be there. Yeah, this is a good opportunity to spruit that. Um, we have got media accreditation for these Woo! international series. So for the next two weeks, I'm heading up to Brisbane on Friday to attend the uh, test match between England and Australia. Uh, and then next weekend, Ando will be joining me at the SCG in the media box. So... But do keep an eye out on our uh, social media, on our Twitter. We will be tweeting throughout the games. We will be getting access to the post-match press conferences. Um, let us know if there's anything else you want to see or hear yeah, yeah. while we're there. Not quite sure what else we can do, but get in touch us If you have any cool ideas
1: of how we can kind of use this experience to benefit you as fans, we'd love to hear it. Because obviously we want to be able to ask your questions at the post-match press conferences, and we think we've done that um pretty well throughout the Super Rugby Pacific season. And now we get to do that in the internationals. But what else can we be providing from having this opportunity experience? Please let us know and we will do our best to accommodate that where possible. So why don't we jump into the Pacific Nations Cup? All right. So the Pacific Nations Cup was held over the
2: weekend and we saw the reinstigation of the Australia A program. They played their first test against Samoa. Uh, result was 31-26 to Samoa. So they did come away the victors in this game. A uh, little bit disappointing for Australia A eh, not to get the victory under the circumstances, but we will probably get into that a little bit later. Overall, Ando, how did you find this game? And did you what did you think of the performance that was put in by Australia A? Eh?
1: Yeah, look, I, um, I was, I guess, not surprised, but the game itself was pretty poor. So the Aussies, I guess we can't call them all of these, let's we'll just call them the Aussies. Um, the Aussies were really error-ridden and making a lot of basic mistakes, like being continuously offside. I think three or four offside calls within the first 15 minutes. Um, and just infringing at the breakdown. Fraser McWright's first involvement in the game was to give away a breakdown penalty. Um, it was just really, really disjointed. But that's to be expected from what is essentially a C or D grade Wallabies team when you consider the size of the Wallabies squad and how a lot of the fringe Wallabies squad players weren't aren't available for the Pacific Nations Cup because it's being held in Fiji whereas the Wallabies were in Perth. Um so yeah, there were a lot of challenges in play. I I thought the honestly I thought the Aussies were fairly poor. Some mm-hmm. good moments throughout, some some good plays and some good moments, but uh as as a cohesive unit there's a lot to be improving on.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you touched on it briefly, but there was a lot of penalties given away in the, the first sort of 15 or 20 minutes of the game. And the Australia A team really found it hard to get their groove going. And they were giving away penalties, four offside, four set piece, nearly everything they were doing, they were giving some form of penalty away. And uh, that just allowed Samoa to really uh, calm themselves into the game and, and to, to dictate a lot of things. What we have seen from this Samoa team, and this was a really good result from them, no disrespect to them at all. Like we, correct, Australia A correct. didn't yep. lose this game. Mana Samoa did win this by all reports. They were the better team on the day. Yep. Um, the, in, the introduction of Moana Pacifica into Super Rugby Pacific this year, I think, has really shown that it's starting to pay dividends for the specific nations. And we can see that when we look through the results, which we'll talk through later. But really, really good performance by Samoa in this game. And... Maybe not so much Tonga, but uh, Fiji with the indru influence did really well as well. Uh, what were some of the clear factors for you that sort of typified the defeat for the Australia A team?
1: Oh, honestly, like I mentioned before, it was the first 10 minutes and the giving away of three offside penalties in that time. Um, it's those moments of ill-discipline. indiscretion that um really provided opportunity for the samoans to utilize just a lot that they were genuinely bigger than the australian players um you just looked at the capacity of the forwards to get over the advantage line for samoa and their tight play was impressive um our backs were making effective tackles but often not getting dominant tackles and so that was meaning again even in backline plays the samoans are getting over the advantage line and yeah, when you combine that kind of gain line dominance with ill discipline from the Aussies, that just led to way too many chances being given to the Samoans, and they were good enough to capitalise on many of them.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the the reasons that, and I think it's something that we can look at moving forward for the rest of the Australia A uh, games in the Pacific Nations Cup. But some of the selection calls that were made were quite unusual when you consider the fact that. This is a team of super rugby players who have been brought together with a week or two's preparation for a tournament. They've not played any rugby together as a unit. Uh, One of the things that the Wallabies get as a benefit is that they've got an established program. You've got players that are in the environment year in, year out, that maybe aren't always in the match day 23, but they're in the environment and they know the calls, they know the systems. This is a completely new program that hasn't been uh run in australia for 10 years so we don't have the luxury of having that cohesive sort of model to fall back on and when we look at the team that was named we had ryan Lonnegan at halfback and then Tane met at 10 so the two probably most important positions on the field are from two completely different super rugby teams who've never played together before ever not even in juniors so um when we look at some of the results, the, the center pairing as well, we had Lalakai um Hamish partnered Stewart. by Hamish Stewart. Again, two yeah. completely different super rugby clubs, no experience there. And I think in the first probably half particularly, we, started to, we really saw that this wasn't a cohesive performance by this team at all. This was very much players doing what they know to do on a rugby field but not really yeah. trusting the players outside them or having that um, knowledge of what the players were going to do. Uh, Fraser McWright stood out and we can see that his uh, development as a player and his leadership capabilities and his inclusion in the Wallabies for the last few years has really come through in this environment. He was very instrumental in sort of turning the tide to um, in favour of the Australia A-team, but ultimately it wasn't enough and they did end up losing the game.
1: Yeah, look, there were a couple of players that I think um, stood out as being just above the rest of the team, um, having fairly polished performances, Sarah Uru's pick-and-drive or pick-and-go plays were fantastic. Um, he created that front football that we were talking about, um, the Aussies needing, uh, and it just provided a bit of speed of ruck delivery as well, which is really, really important. Um, I also thought Tane Edmed was decent without being amazing. Um, for his first kind of start at this level, He he didn't do anything overly wrong. I'll say. And considering the fact that this is basically his first full season of kind of professional rugby, uh, I think it was a decent performance. And so
2: I think also think I- on that, um sorry, just while we're on that yeah, yeah no, the- I think uh he had a much better super rugby season because he was behind a a War- Waratah's pack that was going forward. And yeah, this yeah. this pack this week were going backwards in a lot of areas and losing their own feed on their own scrum and gave away that really simple try towards the end of the game where the ball just pops out just popped and out, yeah. um, they pick it up and score. So I think, yeah, we can see that he's got the makings of a great right. player, but you got to take into account that he's behind a pack going backwards and that always makes a 10 look five times worse than they always are.
1: Yeah, set piece was an issue. Hey, Billy Pollard had a game to forget with his line out throws. They were shocking. Um, So I think it was a combination of really poor throwing, sometimes pedantic refereeing of whether or not it was straight, um, as well as, yeah, just, just and I guess again, that comes down
2: to that whole idea of just not being together as a unit uh, for a long period of time and potentially making up new calls because he's throwing to players that aren't in the Brumbies. So he's not yeah, necessarily... Yeah,
1: Ryan Smith was doing a calling and he's yeah. like, well, so Billy Pollard is a Brumbies playing with Ryan Smith. Like, Are we going to be s-
2: using the Brumbies calls? Are we going to be using the Reds calls? Are we going to make our own calls up? Like yep. this is, I think this is really what typifies this team.
1: Well, it speaks to that with the Wallabies. I mean, the second half performance with the Wallabies was a lot more improved and uh, you look at the front row, who was the front row? James Slipper, our Fighting Gar and um, Scotty Sue. Yep. And so combine the three of them together with what Caden Neville, um, Nick White, Noel Olesea, like all that just shows how much these combinations matter. Um, So as much as people can rightly uh, question the influence that maybe Dan McKellar has had or anything like that, you can't argue against the fact that someone like Noah or whoever it is, coming into an outfit where they've got um, half the team that they've been playing with the whole season has to have an impact. And I think we saw the reverse of that within this Australia A game where you just had so many different combinations that it was really, really hard for... any, any United team effort to come yep. in. There were great flashes and moments of brilliance um, throughout the match. I thought Lalakai faketty was uh, incisive every single time he got the ball. Um, there was a really, really good attacking break um, early or maybe 15 minutes into the game. Um where Mark was able to do a really nice flick pass to Will Harris um, before Jock Campbell was then ushered into touch. But like, so you had these moments, you had these moments, but it was all individual brilliance as opposed to anything as a team.
2: And I guess that's one of the things that Rugby Australia needs to focus on now that we've probably seen and we will see over the next few weeks, the importance of having the Australia A program. Uh, but currently, it looks to be centered around the specific Nations Cup tournament. And realistically, once we get out of this competition, who else are they going to play? I mean, could they play the Maori All Blacks? I don't know. Could they play like the, the young Springboks or the up-and-coming Springboks? Logistically, probably too hard. So they need to stay together to be able to get game time and to develop those cohesions and to, to give them experience at this level if we want to actually yep. see some improvement from these players and getting comfortable at this at this level and on the international stage but we then yeah. need to be playing consistently three games a year is not going to cut it at the moment i will say before we move off this game that it was this was this is a tournament that's won by run by world rugby stan has the rights but it is uh, broadcast by world rugby and i believe in other areas of the world it's broadcast through youtube through the world rugby um youtube channel But interestingly, there's no TMO in these games. And there was a number of calls that were clearly and obviously for me sitting at home uh, mistakes made by the refereeing team that just weren't picked up. There was forward passes. There was a clear obstruction in one of the tries. uh, There was knock-ons going all over the place. So there was some real questionable refereeing going on in this game and just no way for it to be held up or made accountable, which was a little bit disappointing for uh, an international level competition. 100%
1: yeah there was a couple of calls that I was just furious about um but and then was like well why isn't that going to TMO why isn't TMO getting involved I didn't think Yago Piper had a great game uh and then I also found out he had no TMO so I was like oh crap okay I can't blame the guy too much when he couldn't realistically see that thing and we having the broadcast could see it um so yeah so I think one of the things that I immediately thought is, well, what's the body point if um, Australia is going to be so crap? Uh, <laughs> but then I was I was just thinking that's that's harsh. That's unfair and harsh. It's the first game with all these um, players from different outfits that have come together. and it's going to take time for this to work. And you're right that there, there do need to be more opportunities. Um, a, a great opportunity would be seeing if we can play a game against France in a couple of weeks' time because France only have two matches against um, sorry. I should say play a game against Japan because France only have two matches against Japan. Oh, okay. Um, I was say, and
2: what? No, Japan. Japan. Yes. Um, They're playing so, the All Blacks though as well. Japan. Are they? Yeah, it's, it's been not recorded. in the schedule. Yeah, it's. I think it's still being a completely worked out. But the All Blacks are going to play Japan like we did last year on the way up to oh, Europe
1: later oh, in the cool. year. Oh, later in the year, I'm talking about kind of the July August window. Oh, right. Um, yep. so that could be an opportunity after the Pacific Nations Cup, get them together, have one more game against a tier tier. Really, they're now like a tier one nation, Japan, or on a cusp, tier one, tier two. Yeah, um, yeah, we've just we need to look for more opportunities for them to play. And then, um, are they what just going to go home now and not have any further training or involvement together as a squad? Uh, are they? Yeah, like how how does this process work moving forward? What communication are they going to have from um rugby's uh the Wolby's setup? What um ongoing support and work ons will that they be provided from the national setup? Like, it's there are some big questions that I'm hoping and I'm semi confident in kind of Dave Rennie and his team that they've thought this through. Uh, but I'd just love to hear some of that detail too.
2: Yeah, I don't know if this actually sits with Dave Rennie, I mean, he's very much in in the Wallabies bubble at the moment. I think this is a Hamish McLennan or even a uh, Andy Marinos uh, project that he's pushed forward and, and come up with and, and got them included in this tournament. So uh, interesting to see if they can figure something out. I mean, even, even if we put together like a post-Shoot Shield, post-Queensland um, Cup, if we put together like an Australian Barbarians team and play like a three-test series in Australia or like a three-game series in Australia once those two competitions have wrapped up. That fills, fills the hole of something like an NRC and just gives these guys more game time together. Um, obviously not going to be the level of the uh, Pacific Nations Cup, but we're probably starting to see that maybe at currently this, this level is probably a little bit one step too far for the Australia A program where it currently sits anyway. So mm-hmm. was there anything else you wanted to say around this game before we moved on to some of the other results from the weekend?
1: Not really. Um, congrats to Samoa. Um, they, they deserve the win. Uh, I think Lalakai Kai Fichetti will be very upset about pushing that pass at the end when he probably could have just dummied and made the break, but look, I don't mind the Aussies trying to go for the win.
2: Question um, for you and yeah. something that came up for us when we were watching this game as a family, but why is Ryan, why do you think Ryan Lonigan got chosen as captain when Fraser ha- cap successfully captained the under twenties and captained the Queensland Reds a few times this year?
1: Well, Ryan against captain of the Brumbies as well. Um, so it's not as though he has no captaincy experience. Mm. Um, I wonder if sometimes having an open side um, be captain. I know the world is captain. <laughs> uh, <Michael laughs> I know. <Hooper. laughs> um, but I just wonder if sometimes open sides get on the wrong side of the um, referee a bit too much. Um, and so that can sour a relationship maybe. Uh it might well have been also the fact that Fraser McWright might get caught up to the Wallabies if Hooper gets injured. Um, so, Wanagan should be available for the th- all three games. Um, I wonder if that consistency comes into it too. I don't know. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, potentially. Just wondering. Yeah.
2: Um, anyway, yeah. let's move across. So, we had some other test matches being played over the weekend. So, the first game was played between Japan and France. Unfortunately, this one wasn't picked up by Stan Sports. So, you weren't able to watch this one. I th- I'm not actually... I don't even know where you can watch this. I I guess the highlights are available on YouTube now. But the final score was 42-23 to France. Uh, we then had Argentina and Scotland play this morning, early this morning. Argentina came away victors in Michael Checker's first official uh, test as coach of the Argentinian rugby union team. So Argentina 26, Scotland 18. And then another game that finished earlier this morning... South Africa just squeezing it out against Wales uh, 32-29 with, from what I've heard, is was a 83rd-minute penalty goal to get the win for South Africa. Uh, any comments around any of these games, Ando? Any surprise from the results?
1: Unfortunately, I was sleeping far too soundly to be able to wake up uh, and watch those games. So I need to go back through and watch them. Um, it's pretty disappointing that Argentina under michael check were able to get a win against scotland when he barely managed it as a coach of the welbies so that's frustrating um <coughs> and really big credit to the welsh for their performance um it seems to have been a bit of a controversial match i saw squid rugby getting up in arms about a couple of decisions because he's welsh um And also a few South African supporters just absolutely lambasting their own team for a pretty poor performance as well. So it might be a bit of a spicy one to go back and watch, um, especially considering it's relatively high scoring too. Yeah, we'll have to do that.
2: All right. Well, let's, uh, let's leave things there and let's move now straight into the locker
1: room. Let's go. All right, moving now to the locker room, basically our favorite part of the show where we get to have a chat with you, our fans, and answer your questions and comments as they come in. So firstly, thank you to Jock Cudmore. A comment I'd make is cohesion, bloody matters, force changes only. Tupo, if fit, Phillips starts, Kellaway 15, Pitya in the wing, that's it. Leave it alone. Hell of a win, heartwarming English tears get me up and about. (laughs) I completely agree that there is nothing better than beating the English. It's just so good. It is just so good. Um, so look, I'll take that win any day. I will of say week. coming into
2: this into this series, and I think I said on the podcast last week that I've I've never really bought into that whole England as the old enemy and we need yeah, to beat yeah, them yeah. more than New Zealand thing. But I think this whole indi- this whole scenario with uh, Darcy Swain and, and Johnny Hill has really lit that fuse, and we need to smash them this, these next two tests and absolutely <laughs> do it by fifty.
1: Yeah, look, I, I hope for that, but I'm very wary. This is a no. I'm good just English saying that team. that's I've, I've um, lit the anger. I'm angry now. Oh, good. They poked the bear. Um, but I completely agree. Uh, I mean, Jock, we've already spoken with um, James Horwell about some of the changes that we expect for the second match. So I don't think we'll comment anymore. Yep. But may there be more English tears streaming down their cheeks, Sheepy. What can we do to ensure we don't have a final few minutes like we had last night, with 14 quick points scored on us that almost cost us a game? Gave me PTSD flashbacks to Johnny Wilkinson, 2003. Um, I might quickly speak to this one, and you jump in after, mate. Just really quickly, I think it just it's it's all about accuracy and consistency. And in both of those occasions, we've spoken about um, already within a pod, there was just the collision within a tackle between Kelleway and Lelassie. And then there was literally the forwards falling over within a line out that created that gap that Arundel was able to get through for the second try. So two mistakes that the British were good enough to capitalise, English were good enough to capitalise on. Um, and yeah, credit to them, they did that. So I think it's just that annoying old adage of playing a full 80 minutes and making sure you don't switch off. Mitch?
2: Yeah, I think um, once we scored that last try to summer, I think Australia, the, the players did switch off. And I think that will be something that Dave Rennie and his team focus on heavily this week. And yeah, as, as you highlighted, Ando, there was a few accidents that happened and unfortunate instances of players taking each other out and falling over and just not getting across to, to in cover defence. But um, Dave Rennie will be drilling it in this week that we need to finish off the 80 minutes. And even though we had the one, the win secured and they couldn't, Uh, They couldn't win it in the time frame that was left. Letting in two quick tries makes the game look a lot bit different than it really should have. So um, I think that's a, a quick fix that they will be focusing on this week.
1: Yeah, easy. All right, moving on to the next question from Hugh Tindall. What changed in the second half? We went from holding on to dominant by the two giveaway tries at the end. Uh, I think we might be overplaying it to say we were dominant in the second half, but I do agree that it was far better than the first. And at some points, we were. I wouldn't go too. I I wouldn't say that we weren't dominant. I mean,
2: we we were winning scrums against the feed, we were making game line every time we had the ball, we were making breaks in the center. England, conversely, was sort of going backwards and then kicking possession away. So we scored three tries in the space of like ten minutes.
1: Yeah, when I went back and had a look at the game today, there was still England was still looking really good with their forward drives um, within the second half. I think, like um, James was saying earlier, the. If they'd stuck to kind of a more of a forward-oriented game, then we would have struggled pretty significantly. But in saying that, when we were on attack, we were doing really, really well. Yep. Um, and so I guess the question is, well, what changed there? I think personally for me, it was the speed of the ruck increased. Now, I'd love to have the time to go through and actually kind of get the stats on this one. Um, but when you actually go back and have a talk in a broader sense of the match stats, you could see that Marika Korembete and... Um, and who else am I looking at here? Salmi Karevi, they were our top um, run, go, uh, runners runners um, within a game with 15 for Samuk and 11 runs for Marika Korambete. And each of them had 39, well, 39 then 74 with a couple of defenders beaten, multiple offloads. And so what was really impressive there was the fact that they were using particularly Marika for those pick and goes up the middle to get that extra space and to, like I was mentioning, turn the British English around and get that quick rock ball to get us over the advantage line. And I think that too often within the first half, we were playing into the teeth of the close um, English defense. Whereas in the second half, we were getting them backpedaling just a little bit more, which meant that they weren't able to get as many dominant tackles on our runners, which yeah. obviously just had the flow and effect of having more attacking opportunity. That's, it was that's great my to see, uh,
2: It's great to see them, them shifting up the attack too and changing things up by, Samu Krevi putting a few cheeky ones behind when they expecting him to get yeah, the ball and yeah. just truck it up straight. Next minute he's kicked for touch and turned them around completely. So that was, yep. that was sneaky. I like to see that. Yeah.
1: Really, really good on that one. Um, okay. Thallium. given answer the answer the question? Yeah, I did. What can you change in the second half? My answer would have... No, what um, changed in the second half? Yeah.
2: What, what changed for my answer would have been the impact from the bench.
1: Yeah, cool. Yep.
2: Yeah. The players that came yeah. on had a real impact and lifted the tempo and uh, Nick White, uh, yeah, coming off with, what, fifth, 10 minutes to go? and No, he, he left
1: in the 75th minute. Um, five minutes to
2: go then. So, yeah, yep. Um, yep. Jake Gordon coming on. He did actually lift the tempo in those last few minutes though and, and yeah, yeah. was was had a good impact. But, um, yeah, probably wasn't on for long enough to really comment on changing
1: all the overall effect of the game. Yep. Thallium, given tight head props and locks are dropping like flies, what can we do to get our forward pack moving? Uh, I think, well, we've just spoken to some of the positive changes that they were able to make. And it was actually by, and I don't say this to demean the um, forwards at all, but is actually to use some of our strike backs like Karevi and Corimbete at the right times to try and get us that go forward, maybe around the ruck or around the edges, and then have the forwards clearing out and securing that quick ball. Um, so maybe it's using less forwards as the dominant ball runners and it's um, using them to secure our ball faster to make it more effective on the second phase or third phase. What I'd um, be, that's that's my thought.
2: What I'd be saying is um, what we saw on, after the game in the post-match was a, an older lady brought a block of chocolate to Michael <laughs> Hooper, lovely uh, Cadbury's chocolate that she gave him. So if we can instill that in Brisbane and get everyone to bring a block of chocolate along, and just donate that to the Ford pack that'll get them moving quickly and we have to have f- at least four or five maybe six tackle breaks per ford in the ford pack and they can get yep. a, a block of chocolate from everyone in the stands
1: good. <laughs> okay. um but look i think we've already spoken about maybe the um squad changes or the the 23 changes that might need to happen so we won't go into that in relation to the title props and locks that are dropping mm-hmm. out um, Morris Fuller, will Pettire or Callaway start at 15 this week? We've already predicted that it will be Callaway. Is Parecki the hooker that Australia have been looking for post-more? And then is Karevi more important? Bigger drop in team performance than Tupou? Great, great questions there. Uh, we've already spoken about Parecki. Mitch, do you think that Karevi is more important than Tupo?
2: It's hard to say at the moment. He had a really good involvement in this test and he was really instrumental. But when we go back to the All Blacks, and Wallaby's tested at Optus last year. Karevi played and Quade Cooper didn't. And we still got pretty convincingly trounced by New Zealand. So, I don't necessarily think that just by having Karevi there, we all of a sudden win all these games and that he's the determining factor. Um, does he have the influence that Tupo has? Again, it's hard to say because Tupo will win us penalties in nearly every scrum that he's involved in. <laughs> whereas Karevi will just get us good game line ball. So... You know, we could, we could, we could legitimately build a, uh, a game plan around Tupou getting scrum penalties and just kicking every single point that we get from that, whereas Karevi can just score some great tries and make run meters.
1: All right, you're gonna have five seconds to answer the question I'm about to ask you. Okay, so Ooh. be prepared. All right, uh, Karevi's injured, can't play. Who's your twelve? Five. Uh, four, Parisi. Three. Two. Parisi a 13. at
2: twelve. He's a thirteen, isn't he? So.
1: Yeah.
2: 12, 12, 12. twelve,
1: twelve. I'm proud of you going to um, uh, a Waratahs player straight away though. Well done.
2: Well, who else is who else is actually an option in the squad
1: for twelve? Yeah, it's a good question. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, genuinely a good question. That's um, what I mean. Like Hamish well, Stewart
2: not... is the only one that really jumps to mind, but he's in but the he's Australia, Australia a. a. I know that's yeah, what I'm saying. So we've got we've got some great outside. Uh, some 13 options, but who do we shift across? Maybe you shift Lenny Kitau into 12 with Parisi at 13. That's what you might have to do.
1: Potentially, but then again, is playing somebody out of position. And has been there the entire, uh, has been at 12, 13 the entire season. So what's the answer? So, yes, I I don't necessarily have an an answer. Would you go... Uh, Reese Hodge at twelve potentially um, for that kind of straight runner, but his distribution game is pretty poor, so that's that's going to be um, pretty ineffective. Do you bring James O'Connor in and have kind of like a dual playmaker access. But well, then you're still have then two... playing
2: someone out of out of position, aren't we? So are yeah, we pl- yeah, like All of those, I would I would probably stick with Preci at thirteen and shift Tikatoa into twelve. What about or Hunter
1: Pattaya. You've forgotten about Hunter
2: Hunter Paisami. But he's a 13, isn't he?
1: No, he's played 12. Uh, He can play 12. Uh, He's played 12 12, the vast majority of the Wolby seasons um, because he's always had Ikitao outside of him at 13.
2: Right. But I think he's more effective as a, as he's similar to Karevi in that he's that big ball runner, less of a distributor. So, yeah.
1: Difficult, yep. difficult situation. Yeah, it's, a, it's a difficult one. So I think actually going back to the question originally, Morris, I think you've raised a really good point. Is Karevi more important than Tupo? I personally, for me, would probably be saying yes, um, just because whilst, and I think Hunter Paisami, although it took us a while to get there, but we got there in the end, but it's probably Hunter that's the twelve replacement. Um, he has... Yeah, potentially, but I mean, Hunter's at least got experience there at a Walby's level. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think the drop-off from Karevi to next is probably bigger, whereas for Tupo, who are you dropping down to? Um, Alatoa. Yeah, drop, dropping down to... If, if everyone's fit. If everyone's fit, yeah. Yep. So,
2: that's... And then un- under Alatoa, we're dropping down to Slipper.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, on the wrong side, Slipper. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Simon Goff, two questions, boys. Who plays fullback next test? Go with kelloway who's all class and showed so in several key moments during the match or the potential that geordie brings uh your set as well with me mate going with kelloway yep 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 easy And has Pete Samu finally showed why he's a better bench option than Fraser McWright with a pivotal cameo off the bench? I don't think McWright scores that try. Samu is athletic and big enough to power over and McWright doesn't bring the size Samu does. I'll speak to this and then throw it to you as well, mate. Um, I don't actually think the question is Samu or McWright. I think the question is Samu or Wilson. Mm. Um, for that bench spot So McRite is an out and out seven And you very rarely carry an out and out seven on your bench um, So Samu covers the whole back line Six, seven and eight He can play all three of them competently uh, And I think the question is Should Harry Wilson, who could play six or eight Be there instead? What do you think?
2: Um, yeah, I agree with you in that instance That we're, we're comparing Wilson and, and Samu uh, I still think Samu is the better option in this test shows that I don't, I don't think um, Harry Wilson scores that try either just through the, what we've seen this year and and something. And it's probably a perfect example of why he's not getting picked at the moment, but that ability to bust a tackle and to make meters post contact um, we haven't seen as consistently from Harry Wilson as we have from Pete Samu.
1: And I think when you take that point and maybe I would add the caveat of with that shimmy step, right at the start of that kind of contact process um we know that harry wilson is an incredible work rate player he is incredibly willing will work hard for the team amazing runs um a number of runs per game good good meters as well because of the number of runs that he makes but his footwork has always well for the last 12 months been something he's been asked to work on and he's he obviously is. Um, and I'm just not sure if we've seen that this year from yeah. him uh to be able to perform on the international level for it. Yeah. So I know if Rev was here, he'd be he'd be calling for Harry Wilson to be starting. Oh, Rev would have cancelled <laughs> the call. Rev would have just yeah, hung up. He would you know? just called. Um so yeah, it's just I, I think the question is not about McWright, really. It's about Wilson. And with that in mind, you stick with Samu. He's he's the perfect bench cover
2: perfect
1: easy um have i missed anything i think that's it mate well well done thank you ladies and gentlemen for having all of your questions come in mitch is there anything you wanted to touch on before we finish up just wanted to say thanks everyone for
2: supporting the podcast and and listening every week and uh numbers are consistently growing uh hopefully as we get into the international season the wallabies continue to get some wins we can get more listens and more people involved but if you do have you know, that that sports friend who might not be that into rugby, get them listening. Give them yeah, something to, to do. Give us a share. Uh, tell, tell your friends about us and spread, spread the rugby gospel.
1: Oh, good, mate. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming along and joining us on this ride, on this journey. Big thanks to James Hall for getting involved and have a wonderful week up the Wallabies and let's get it over the old blighty in Suncorp this weekend. All right. Catch you later, everybody. Bye. Bye.